Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, all over the globe, world, international, intergalactic, wherever you happen to be while listening to this voice, this is Larry Charles, one half of the Game Dev Unchained podcast team. That's the number one podcast for video game development and the lifestyle of game developers. And this week, we scraped the bottom of the barrel. Just kidding. The guy who lives next to Lady Luck herself, Mr. Brandon Pham. Hey, what's up, everybody? Coming out of the barrel here, this is Brandon Pham. Thank you for joining us this week. Please welcome our special guest, Jason Fader. Jason. Hello. What's up, Jason? Happy to be here. Happy to have you with us. Yeah, it's good having you, man. This is the portion of the podcast where we ask... A little bit about your background, if you don't mind introducing yourself to our audience. Well, let's see. My grandparents emigrated from Russia uh, <laughs> shortly before World War One. Um, too far back? Too far back? Okay, sorry. Uh, let's see. So I've been in the game industry probably for the past 17 years or so. Uh, got my start at Blizzard around the year 2000. So worked on Diablo 2, II, Warcraft 3, um, I worked on WoW. I was basically a tools programmer on a lot of projects there. Uh, Then uh, shortly after, I think about six months after WoW launched, uh, left Blizzard to go do an indie thing. I made a small game with a bunch of college buddies called Thread Space Hyperball. It was the 42nd game to ever come on Steam. Uh, So that was pretty cool. And then uh, after that, I uh, found myself at Obsidian, working with Larry Charles, um, I where uh, I was on Fallout New Vegas and a few other projects. Um, I was a lead producer at Obsidian, and then uh, parted ways, did the indie thing again, uh, working on a Kickstarter called Steam Bandits, which I'm still working on, as you do with most Kickstarters these days. And uh, about a year ago, I uh, found myself at a company called Night Dive Studios uh, as the game director of a System Shock reboot. Hey, hey, actually, that was probably the most concise, uh, you know, look over resume that we've done on the on the podcast. So congratulations on that first as well. Thank you. Seriously, that was great. Yeah, man, you, you obviously have worked at awesome places and uh, been dipping your toes back in indie once in a while because the bug gotcha. So how, how was the first time versus the recent time? I mean, what would you say would be the difference? Um, I had less student loan debt the first time I did it. <laughs> um, the first time I went indie, um, I, I was still living at home. Well, I guess living li- li- living in my dad's place. Um, and a bunch of my friends, we were fresh out of college. Um, we decided to uh, keep working on a student project that we were building up. 
so we left our day jobs, uh, packed up all of our computers, moved it into my dad's dining room, and uh, called up a bunch of friends that might have known people in the industry, uh, got a hold of Valve, and got a really good relationship with them. Um, launched our game on Steam. Uh, so weird, weird game. Uh, there hasn't been anything out there like it. Super, super indie. Um, before there was even a category for indie games, I guess. Um, it, it did moderately okay. Uh, tried a lot of new things. It was basically like a real-time version of Worms in Space that was multiplayer and competitive. It was almost like a MOBA before there were MOBAs. Nice. Um, we a uh, funny story. We actually had uh, achievements in the game before there were Steam achievements, and uh, since we were, had a really good relationship with Valve to wire all this stuff up, um, we were working with Valve to get all this stuff working. And then six months later, Valve comes out with Steamworks with achievements as well. Oh, and uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if they got some of the ideas from us. I mean, probably they got it from uh, Xbox since Xbox was doing a lot of it. But yeah. uh, it's it's one of those things where sometimes as a dev you work on things uh, internally, and then sometime later, like if you're working in Unreal or Unity, they come out with that feature and make what you're working on kind of obsolete. Mm. Say, the good thing is the players got achievements. Yeah, yeah, And then going back yeah. to answering the question about the differences between indie back then and indie now. Um, indie now, there's so many tools out there. Uh, when I started doing indie stuff, this was back in 2006, Unity, Unreal were not there readily available. So we basically just coded up our own engine using uh, DirectX, and we had amazing programmers. Uh, those guys today, uh, one of them, uh, Nicholas Lawson, is uh, a tech director or lead engineer over at Amazon working on Lumberyard. Mm -hmm. So th these guys have we, we've all we all stay in touch. Actually, we had lunch uh, this week. Uh, we try to have lunch on a on a monthly basis just because we're still really good friends. Um, but comparing all that to doing indie development now, it's it's kind of different. Um, at least when you're an older developer that has bills to pay, everybody's moved uh, away and has has a lot of real world obligations. So it definitely makes it trickier. So if you ever want to go indie, the younger you do it, the safer it is. Yeah. Well, speaking of young and and kind of uh, fearless, like reaching out to Valve at such an early part of your career and having and maintaining a good relationship with them. Like that is a feat within itself. Like how, how about it? Did you guys go to, to reach out to those guys and get, help? um, let's see. Oh man. I haven't thought about this one in a while. Uh, so one of the guys uh, on our team, his name's, his name is, uh, is, I guess his name is still that is, uh, Matthew Yeager. And, uh, his dad, uh, worked at Interplay. Uh, for a while, and he he had some friends. One of the one of whom was a producer at Atari that we were working with uh, on the game, and then they lined us up with uh, a meeting with Valve, where we pitched the game to them, told them about what we were doing. I was at GDC one year and had a face to face meeting with uh, the guy who was running all their indie game stuff back then. What was his name? Uh, Jason Holtman. I think he's doing Oculus stuff now, and he's since left Valve. Um, but yeah, after a few conversations, uh, they felt like we would be a, a really cool fit for them. Um, we were really early on their platform, so the guy we were talking to was basically the guy that was in charge of Steam. They didn't really have a large team back then. Um, and uh, we basically developed the game over the span of a year, but working really close with Valve to make sure all their systems were working with our multiplayer stuff. Mm -hmm. um, because not only was it a kind of a head-to-head -head, um, dedicated 
dedicated server-based multiplayer game, but we also had um, kind of a persistent backend, almost like what you'd find in like Heroes of the Storm, mm-hmm. uh, where as you play games, you also gain levels and you can unlock things and all sorts of stuff we were trying that was crazy and new in 2006. But that's what you do when you're fresh out of college. You just mm-hmm. do innovative things. Yeah. So looking at the perspective from being game number 46, right? on 42. Steam. 42 on Steam to where it is now. Could you I will even... take that to my grave oh. as, as an achievement. Yeah. <laughs> Let me ask you this. What's your what's your view on the perspective of the growth of Steam, the platform, right? Like Steam is essentially the savior of PC gaming as far as I'm concerned. Like I don't see people buying box copies of games anymore. It's just straight to Steam. Did you think or even have any sort of inkling as to like going on Steam, being such an early adopter was going to be like, you know, it was go- that Steam was going to grow into what it is today? I did, but Atari didn't think so. So we got an amazing contract from them. Uh, So in in the contract that we established with Atari, because they basically, they fronted us some money to uh, do development for the game. Um, In the contract, they did not really think Steam was a big deal, um, but we did because we were gamers and like I, back then, what was coming out? It was like uh, Counter Strike and and uh, Team Fortress Classic and a bunch of stuff like that. So we we loved everything about Steam, and uh, in the contract I negotiated with them, uh, I retained all rights and all profits that that went through through Valve and Steam nice. indefinitely, and oh, uh, Atari retained rights for uh, brick and mortar sales and box copies. Ah, and that's I was, one of those George Lucas deals. Yeah, and I was fairly certain they weren't going to box it and so having uh full full profits on on digital copies it was just very forward thinking uh on my part and it's own the ip for it completely um and it's still something that i like working on so uh that's the other thing if you go indie try to retain the rights to your game as much as possible because if you don't and you lose it that's going to suck yeah oh yeah seriously yeah any traction that you get with any type of game that you work on i mean it, it just helps to build off of that so if you lose it, like, what's the point? Mm-hmm. Maybe you have the, the 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 pedigree marketing that says, ah, I made this, but yeah, I don't own it. But it, it definitely helps. All right. So the reason why we have you here with us today is because we we're hoping to get a little more information on this, this, this really cool game that we heard you're uh, rebooting, which is System Shock. Now, you know, System Shock is a it's like a it's a franchise that is coveted and it's protected by the industry, a cult classic even, you know, so I imagine there's a lot of people like with scrutiny and meticulously watching over the development of this project saying don't mess it up. So how, Mr. Jason Fader, do you feel taking on the role of directing this game under, you know, with all the fandom around such a a classic game and then, you know, interpreting it and bringing it into 2017? Well, um, I found a new appreciation in top shelf hard liquor, Um, (laughs) especially a really fancy rum Uh, that gets me through a lot of it. but no, it's uh, it's intimidating and it's it's yeah. amazing. Um, and I consider myself incredibly lucky in the industry. Um, I've worked on uh, Fallout and and uh, Warcraft based uh, franchises, and it's a lot of stuff that has a built-in established following with with a lot of fans, very very serious and, and passionate about it. And uh, passionate, good yeah. One. There's there's a lot of uh, pressure because I I don't want to let people down. Um, all eyes are on us. And uh, it's uh, it can be overwhelming sometimes, but uh, how I mitigate that is uh, I'm as transparent as possible to the to the fans and community. Uh, for example, um, our all of our Kickstarter backers uh, are in our private Discord server, 
and oh, uh, yeah. I, I perhaps like chatting with them maybe too often. Um, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I work remote, and when when you work remote, you kind of lose touch with the real world. You don't get out as much, and mm-hmm. and friendships tend to diminish. Um, I think the extent of most of my friendships now is just like posts on Facebook, and and oh. I think they know I still care. Um, but I've I've never been good at at maintaining friend friendly connections, uh, and so but I I still like having friends and uh, in in the Discord server with the fans, um, I basically sometimes if I'm uh, working at a coffee shop designing some aspect for the game, I'll chime I'll chime in there and just say hey you know here's the a cool little quirk thing that that I just researched uh, about science and I'm going to be applying this to Shodan in some weird way and then they'll engage in that and start having a conversation with me. Uh, we have channels in there where they can directly leave feedback and some of them ping me and ask what I'm thinking about uh, for a certain feature. And if it's something I'm ready to talk about, I I just completely tell them here here's here's what I'm planning and here's what's going to be in the game. And if it's something that is kind of unknown right now, um, I'm not going to commit to features before they're set in stone because that's just setting yourself up for failure. But I'm honest with them. I basically say it's it's too early to tell. But as far as where I'm leaning towards, um, I really like games that do these sorts of things. And so yeah. since that's where my interests fall, that's probably where things are going to end up with this game. So as a fan, though, that's like that's the most incredible relationship you could expect to have with a developer, especially if they're working on something you're excited about. Now, you, I know you come from like, you know, like Blizzard and working on some of the big franchises there, you know, working on Fallout New Vegas, where a lot of these big companies are more clandestine about what they do. I guess comparing and contrasting your experiences as a developer on either end, do you feel like the shift is going towards being more open about game development or is that better? Do you have a, a specific opinion on which one you enjoyed more, I guess, for the entire community? I think it it just depends on the company culture. I don't think there's necessarily a wrong way to to do it. I mean, well, yes, there is. Completely ignoring your fans and not talking to them is really wrong. Mm-hmm. Um but as far as what you reveal for market timing, um, there's there's pros and cons to both. Um, since we started as a Kickstarter, it's very important to me to uh, be uh, communicating often with our fans, um, answering their questions, because they're invested in this as much as we are. Mm-hmm. And it would be a disservice to them to ignore that. And so it's it's very important to me and the rest of the team to maintain that constant level of communication, that transparency, always hearing them out. And they, they'll give us ideas and, and pitch us on features they'd like to see. Not everything yeah. we, we actually move forward with, but we listen to everything. And t- to us, that's that's the most important part of our relationship with our fans is that we actually listen. Hmm. Like how, how difficult was it? Uh, because I was reading something the other day. And this happens a lot in the movie industry. Um, like, did you have to go through loops to uh, get the rights to, to to do this and stuff? Like, what was that? I didn't, because that happened before I joined the team. <laughs> okay. Um, however, uh, the CEO of Night Dive Studios, Stephen Kick, yeah. uh, oh, yes, he <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it took him a while, um, but uh, his his hard work paid off, and he acquired the rights to it. Um, there's there's articles that have been written on it, but the short story is, mm-hmm. uh, after Looking Glass uh, shut down, uh, the rights fell to an insurance holding company, mm-hmm. um, and then our CEO did did the homework, did a lot of research, did 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 the chatting with them, got some contracts going, and eventually uh, got got System Shock Two on Steam and the original System Shock on Steam, and was able to acquire the rights from them and and do all sorts of stuff and um 
He even uh, licensed the rights to uh, System Shock 3 to mm -hmm. Warren Spector and Paul Nurath uh, mm -hmm. from other side to do their thing. And we're doing our thing, rebooting the original. And it's, uh, yeah, it's a pretty awesome process. I'm really glad that I didn't have to do any of that legwork beforehand <laughs> because that just yeah. sounded way too tedious and boring. I, I would much rather just stay on the creative side. Yeah. yeah, that sounds great, man. Like just the ability to do that and like it's I'm sure it was like an uphill battle, but uh for, for studios or, or that insurance company to to be able to negotiate and work something out is definitely a, a service to the fans and to gamers out there. Because yeah. you hear it all the time in, in Hollywood, like even there, there's like a fan made uh Voldemort uh from the Harry Potter series movie coming out that got kickstarted. And then, you know, the, of course, Warner Brothers is like, no, wait, hold on. <laughs> but thankfully, <laughs> uh, it's allowed to go on, which is rarely the case. So in video games, man, I, I would imagine the same type of loops have to be conquered and, and negotiated to get to this point. I mean, how long was that process? Uh, I think a few years, maybe three years or so back and forth. I'm not entirely sure. Mm -hmm. um, definitely more time than I myself would have patience for. Right. Yeah. That's one thing about the game industry. It's like all the spiritual successors, if they didn't go through the red tape to secure rights, 99.9% .9 of those projects got shut down, right? Mm -hmm. Like the all the games that are like, hey, fan-made versions of some sort of IP that exists, shut down, shut down, shut down. Mm -hmm. But obviously in this case, as Jason said, no, he, you know, like at Night Dive Studios, they contacted all the legal representatives who own the IP. They did the research. They did the legwork. They made connections, rubbed elbows, and they eventually acquired the rights to do this so i guess that's the difference audience is doing the legwork is making a project getting a lot of people excited and then being told you can't do it so jason were you a part of the Kickstarter campaign or did you join after? Uh, I joined about, um, I think about two or three weeks before the Kickstarter campaign started. Um, and uh, so I was involved for a good chunk of the Kickstarter campaign process. Um, but by then, uh, a lot of the wheels had been set in motion. Um, so funny story, actually. Uh, I didn't realize how soon their Kickstarter campaign was going to be starting until I actually joined the team. And uh, the Kickstarter overlapped um, uh, my trip to Comic-Con. Every year, I love going to Comic-Con. Spending a week there is the only vacation I ever give myself. And uh, last, last year at Comic-Con, I think I spent about... 70% of my time uh, just managing the Kickstarter, going back and forth, talking to the backers and planning things out with all, all the backer awards and, and everything. And I didn't really get to enjoy my Comic-Con, but I mean, it was it was also kind of worth it because all, all the work that I was putting in helped to, everybody's work helped make that Kickstarter the success that it was. Um, so this year, Comic-Con, blocking out time, not going to let anybody bother me. I'm going to make up for it and I'm just going to enjoy my week. All right. What costume are you wearing this year? Uh, I don't really cosplay because it's really warm <laughs> down there. I mean, my girlfriend's going to be cosplaying something from Pokemon, um, and she's trying to convince me to. I don't know. I, I think if I were to cosplay something, it would probably be something from Avatar The Last Airbender. Um, actually, go. Legend of Korra, uh, Tenzin, because, you know, goatee, bald hair, it's you know, <laughs> probably a good fit. Nice, nice. Just wondering. Was there a... So you, this has this been your second Kickstarter you were mentioning before? That you yeah, were yeah. This uh, is not my first rodeo, and uh, there were a lot of similarities as far as um, 
no matter how prepared you think you are for a Kickstarter, um, as as Illidan would would say, you are not prepared. You are mm-hmm. not prepared. Uh, there's there's always things that you didn't account for, curveballs that are thrown your way. Um, it's it's really a test of um, a team's uh, resolve mm-hmm. uh, to to see a Kickstarter through and to um, make the fans as happy as possible and to communicate as well as they can what they're going to be making. Were there right. any uh, standouts uh, from? both situations where you felt like holy crap didn't even think about this as a team all right this is how we fix it well uh one one of the big differences uh when i did a kickstarter um geez back in 2012 um it didn't raise as much as the system shock kickstarter for sure and did not have the volume of backers that system shock has uh so it was much easier to manage from a communication standpoint uh keeping up with the backers and, and the messages that were get that would get sent in but for the system shock kickstarter uh flooded with so many messages so mm-hmm. so many backers asking questions that we were we were overwhelmed there weren't really a lot of us on the team i think mm-hmm. at the time there were maybe about six of us um mm-hmm. but we would get maybe 20 or 30 messages a day mm-hmm. um sometimes up to i think that one, one time we got up to 50 messages towards uh, during like the beginning and the end of the kickstarter and just managing messages and and responding to comments uh it became essentially a full-time job to the yeah. point where like we it. had to have some of the team just not look at the kickstarter and keep working on their stuff because mm-hmm things still needed to get done for the game. Right. Jesus, man. So I have three quick questions about Kickstarter for you. I want to see if you can help our audience in five minutes or less. Question number one, do you believe in shipping physical media to Kickstarter backers? Uh, yes, but not too much of it. Physical media can be very expensive and it's a logistical hurdle. Um, I definitely recommend if you want to do physical rewards to align with some third party that specializes in fulfillment because it'll just save you a lot of headache. Question number two, do you believe in asking for how much money you need or how much money you want? Uh, it depends, but either way, you should always be honest and transparent with your fans about what you're looking for. It's called Kickstarter, not Kick Finisher. So some <laughs> sometimes some projects start there to get to the prototype stage and then pitch that prototype onto a publisher. Some MMOs uh, that start on Kickstarter operate that way. Others um, are asking for enough money to finish the entire game. As long as you're clear with with what it is you're asking for, um, there's there's no real wrong approach. Uh, you just need to make sure that the backers are fully aware of what it is they're they're putting their money towards and and what to expect and by when my final question for you sir is how soon do you begin telling people about your kickstarter um market timing is tricky uh you definitely want to give yourself i would say at least a 30-day head start to start making noise um sooner is always better just to kind of tease it um but you want to have that 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 critical uh that critical mass as early as possible on that first day when that kickstarter launches so that you have fans ready to go that know what you're going to be making uh that are ready to back you that way you can reach your funding goal as quickly as possible because the the more projects has been funded the more confidence uh backers that are on the fence may have for actually back in the project thank you that i love that that was awesome man okay yeah totally <laughs> unrehearsed a new segment like rapid fire real quick fast five questions or something seriously <laughs> we'll try it again next week but yeah thanks man i'm gonna start a kickstarter one day so i keep asking kickstarter questions trying to help myself really but uh the audience is you know fly on the wall since they listen to the podcast so like they get the information as well so uh, you guys started 
it sounded like six people when you kickstarted. I mean, how, how big's the team now? Oh boy. Um, uh, there's about 25 of us now, roughly. Oh, nice. yeah, you guys ramped up quick. I, I mean, uh, I, we're, st- we're still in pre-production. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, uh, it's not even, that's not even, it's not even our final form. Oh, um, <laughs> Uh, but, uh, yeah, we're still in pre-production. Um, so it's, uh, a lot of senior folks, the leads team, uh, has been established, um, working on a lot of pre-production things. Uh, and then once we enter production, the team size will probably be close to 35 to 40. Oh, wow, oh nice. nice. That's good size. So let me ask you, let me ask you this. Cause I saw the Kickstarter. I think you guys were asking for 900,000 and you pulled in about 1.3. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you looking and i might just be ignorant to where you guys are in the project right now but are you looking for a publisher to come in and you know drop some like significant revenue behind this or um, is the 1.3 all you need to take it to the finish line well 1.3 is enough to definitely uh make the game but mm-hmm. uh there there's that old adage of uh throwing more money at something uh typically results in something being better um i mean not always there are some kickstarters out there that have raised a stupid amount of money uh that may never see the light of day unfortunately um but other than that, I mean, as far as publishers in general, um, publishers provide a lot of useful services. Uh, for example, QA, localization, uh, putting it on store shelves, uh, stuff that uh, Night Dive right now is, is uh, not well equipped to handle. So I would say um, a publisher alignment is definitely not off the table. Um, I don't particularly have an interest in managing an entire QA team. Uh, so it'd be nice if there was somebody else that can handle that. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll see. Awesome, man. Well, if you feel like uh, throwing some of that our way, you know, feel free. <laughs> we uh, we always appreciate support. Yeah, we like pocket change. What's one of the biggest surprises, though, that you guys found as far as, you know, trying to do a true restart or reboot of a franchise from, you know, the early 90s to actually doing it and updating it in 2017? The biggest surprises. Hmm. Um. I would say uh, gauging what what the fans' interest levels were. Um, so, uh, like like most games that came out back in the day, uh, there's still uh, a loyal following, uh, people that believe very strongly in the project. Um, and uh, we did a lot of homework, and we still do. Uh, we check up on all the fan forums, see what their thoughts are, and uh, there was uh, a great. Uh, there was a very large community uh, on on a website with with diehard fans, and they created I don't want to call it a manifesto, um, but it was more of um, a document of collected ideas and suggestions from from the most loyal fans and diehard fans. Oh, nice! And uh, actually in the game, you don't have to say what went in, but like what percent. Well, it's it's not what's going in the game, but but rather how surprised I was when I read um, the things that they were saying. Um, mm, there you go. Because I thought that the the most diehard fans would want things uh, maintained as a one to one conversion of the original, change as little as possible, um, and, and and no deviations. But instead, from their collected collaboration and feedback, it was almost the opposite. Mm-hmm. Where their rationale was, there's so many people out there that have not in, uh, appreciated System Shock as they did back in the '90s, and it hasn't aged entirely well. Mm-hmm. And their suggestions were to not worry about making them happy because they've already uh, they've already experienced it for the first time back then. Mm-hmm. And instead, they encouraged us to find the best way to represent the, the the true core and spirit of System Shock to today's gamers. And it was it was overwhelming, and uh, and uh, it was we just felt incredibly grateful that uh, we almost got the blessing of the fan and community base to to 
not try to service their needs, but instead to think about those that never got to play System Shock in the past and instead give them the best first time experience possible. And it, that was the most unexpected thing um, oh. because, I mean, working on Fallout and other games, I'm used to fans being very, um, I don't want to say uh, serious or, or, or uh, but, but definitely. Particular. Yeah, very, very particular about what they want. And uh, I couldn't have predicted how how awesome this community has been to us and how encouraging they are uh, in in almost, uh, like I said, giving us their blessing to to make this game something that everybody can appreciate, not just a game for them. Then again, I think that crew is probably also uh, more mature and older than than your typical gaming crew because I mean these these are folks that that appreciated the game in the '90s, and so it's it's just good to see that there's still good-natured, hardcore fans on the internet. Awesome, and and that's rare though. It's like the fans that I usually interact with these days are like complaining on YouTube that you know Call of Duty did this or Bioshock did that and it's just like Jesus Christ guys the game's not even out yet and you know you <laughs> you seem like you've already played it and know every secret that these guys have to offer <laughs> I'm sure we'll probably still run into those but uh they've yeah. been very few and far between I would say uh, a majority of the fan base has, has been a real joy to communicate with Awesome now is there a, a specific part about the game that you yourself are the most excited about like oh you know this is something that we added and put that you can talk about that you kind of want to say like man you know we really took it to the next level with this you know I think my so it I will have a different question whenever you ask me uh, whenever I'm asked that at a certain point <laughs> in time because it will always sure. be whatever feature I'm currently working on is my favorite feature in gotcha. the world um, that's just how I design things is I just completely immerse myself in that environment and and I fall in love with it and and, and I treat it as great as I can and right now I'm working on uh, a lot of lore historical stuff thinking really <laughs> really getting into Shodan's mind uh, mm-hmm. and and just figuring out a lot of stuff re- regarding her background, um, how, how she was feeling on the station, why she did what she did, um, and, and basically just connecting all the dots. And that itself is not necessarily a feature, but it's what forms the foundation of the game because uh, I can't think of a whole lot of games out there where the, the, the villain or the antagonist is there with you every step of the way taunting you uh every action the player is going to take uh that shodan notices she's going to have a response she's going to uh she's going to troll you she's going to make fun of you um and there's going to be this weird frenemy enemy relationship going on in the player's mind versus this villain that that they're eventually going to take down but on that road to do it uh it's not just going to be an end boss that you see at the very end of the game that you've never seen before it's going to be somebody that has been there with you from the beginning that's been taunting and pissing you off. And it's going to feel great when you finally take her down because she has it coming. Hell yeah. Sounds like uh, she's the cousin of GLaDOS or some shit. Right? <laughs> Actually, a lot of so uh, GLaDOS. Uh, I mean, it's she's she's been based on Shodan. Uh, yeah, yeah. In in some ways, uh, there are some fan fictions and web comics out there that show GLaDOS as the daughter of Shodan, and it's adorable. Yeah. <laughs> that joke was for uh, the youngins who weren't around for twenty eight point eight modems and System Shock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when did uh, a System Shock come out? Nineteen eighty four. 1994 and then uh, Next trivia question. <laughs> <laughs> so like uh you know remastering a, a classic and you were mentioning before the balancing of uh keeping what was uh memorable or and, and updating what you know to today's standards of shooters i mean how how has that been balancing those type of features 
and respecting the the original um it's tricky but uh it's if you've played the original system shock it's it's clear that there are some some aspects to it that have not aged very well so it mm-hmm. became clear graphics definitely need an overhaul um so some of the some of the game design uh, decisions with uh, usability, a lot of UX and UI design mm-hmm. uh, definitely needs an overhaul. Um, it's what we did when we, when we started the project is we played through the first game a lot um, and then basically analyzed um, what still holds up mm-hmm. and, and what could use some, some more massaging and some more love. And uh, what we concluded was the story is awesome. Um, the story, the characters, uh, the uh, the content itself is is so rich and, and amazing. I I'm amazed that they were able to achieve so much in so little time back then. Um, and so we're we're trying to preserve as much of the spirit of that as as we possibly can, um, but bringing it into a modern engine like Unreal and utilizing a lot of the really cool physics and visual fidelity that Unreal has to offer. Uh, basically, making a modern version of System Shock that utilizes everything that we've learned over the last 20 years mm-hmm. when it comes to game development. And applying that to this this classic, uh, and it's uh, it's challenging at times, but um, it's ultimately uh, I mean the the best rule of thumb that I tend to follow is I I picture the game in my mind, and I picture uh, playing through running down the the corridors of Citadel Station, uh, and um, it's it still gels very well together. Uh, right now we're we're also doing playthroughs of System Shock Two, mm-hmm. um, to to just get everything in our heads, um, and and figure out what everybody appreciated about the the whole the whole franchise of System Shock games to make sure that we're we're doing the best we possibly can to this amazing amazing game universe. So I want to ask this question because it sounds like there might be a story here, but I remember when I watched the Kickstarter video, I think, or I I guess I left with the impression that the game was being developed in Unity, but I know now that it's actually being developed in Unreal. So was there a a big story in the transition as to why it happened or, you know, and what was that like, I guess, or or were we just being trolled? Uh, there, there, there's a few reasons. So we, okay. we announced our switch to Unreal um, when we were up at GDC, um, but we had actually uh, started investigating Unreal um, a few months after the Kickstarter. Um, so after the Kickstarter uh, was funded, um, we we looked at the entire roadmap, the game that we wanted to make, the scope of everything. Um, it was still a very small team, so we needed to also ramp the team up. And as we were ramping the team up, folks that we were bringing onto the team had a great deal of Unreal experience, um, more so than Unity. And it became clear that uh, there there was interest in Unreal. So we we had uh, meetings with both Epic and Unity to talk about what our needs were, what what we were envisioning for the game. Um, we, we had a lot of meetings with our team to just talk about, um, what would, how would our development time look, uh, in, in each engine? Um, how could we push performance, visual fidelity, um, for, uh, for console developments, um, Unreal uh, definitely seemed to uh, fit our needs more as far as performance, uh, hitting uh, it, a, a consistent frame rate and, and awesome fidelity with performance, um, and also playing to the strengths of the team that we were building. Mm-hmm. Um, most of our leads have a background in Unreal. Um, we have guys that, uh, that worked on uh, Mass Effect and, uh, and Dragon Age and um, the, the Old Republic and a bunch of stuff, uh, and, and it was just playing more and more more to Unreal-based technology. So it just made sense for us to make that transition just to make our own development a lot easier. 
So as a designer myself, uh, talking to another designer, I'm going to ask a question on behalf of all the designers out there is how do oh you yourself get into the, <laughs> no, no, it's not going to be a hard one, but how did you prepare for the opportunity to lead the development of System Shock's reboot? Um, how did I do it? I, I pet my cat a lot and I looked deep into her <laughs> eyes and I, and I asked my cat, trillion and i said trillion am i am i ready for this can i do this and uh she uh she didn't really know i was talking to her and she just kind of ignored me um as cats are known mm -hmm. to do uh so then i concluded i needed to answer that question myself um and uh i wasn't sure um one 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 of the things that i i try to be as egoless as possible because i've worked with uh, quite a few folks in the industry that have nothing but ego mm -hmm. and i don't want to be that um so i'm always doubting myself uh and i think that's natural um the the best way to overcome that is to get validation from your peers and so um when when i was uh, joining the project um i immediately started writing i i wrote my ideas down my thoughts what system shock meant to me um what I would do um, and and essentially pitched it to the team uh, and and my closest friends to get their feedback to kind of sanity check myself like am I is this nuts am I are these bad ideas am I am I just a two-bit hack uh, what do you guys think um, and uh, everybody loved it they, they thought I was on point and they were really great ideas in a great direction and that helped give me uh, internal confidence to uh, motivate myself and do and create even better work um, so I would say if, if you ever have any doubts or you're not sure if you can achieve something, um, put some work in, uh, seek validation or criticism from peers. Uh, try to avoid friends and family because they're never going to tell you you're dumb um, <laughs> unless you have friends that do that and then they might not really be friends. Yeah, what's um, up, Larry? <laughs> <laughs> but try to find uh, colleagues, um, game development forums, um, uh, places where it's, it's unbiased feedback. And that is incredibly valuable. And if you can find that validation that and that reaffirms uh, your suspicion that you might know what you're doing, then you're probably on the right track. Yeah, I, I think all, all of us have worked with that guy who uh, who's still in love with himself or herself. Right. Let's just be genderless here. Both <laughs> both genders can be assholes. Right? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, it's refreshing to hear that from a game director like yourself, just coming from a humble place and you know we're making games I, yeah. I feel like a lot of times people forget that and get so political about things and uh don't think about you know the goodness for the whole team and you know whatever the best choices are it's more like yeah you are the head of a department but it's more like you know i'm just managing this right now but everyone can contribute and help each other out in in any way so i mean i think the way you're handling is perfect yeah. i mean more. i'm envious of those out there that can really sell themselves market themselves yeah. and and convince others they know what they're doing that's that's a great great skill yeah um but that's not that's not typical for most people i mm -hmm. i tend to keep my head down and do my work mm -hmm. um and so i'm i'm not always quick to be on twitter and have a lot of followers yeah but that's that's not important to me that's not how how i measure my own worth um i i measure my worth by what i do not what i say mm -hmm. and uh, you're you will always be your own harshest critic and so the most important thing is to learn how to appreciate yourself and to appreciate your own work because you're going to make crappy work if you hate yourself so don't mm -hmm. man i gotta stop hating myself <laughs> so e3 coming right around the corner 
I always say that E3 and GDC are my favorite times of the year for actually getting and developers. And, you know, you had mentioned that you spend, you know, at least once a month, you try to get back together with some of your old friends. Now, how well have you been able to maintain your network of colleagues or at least close professional friends over the years? Because you've had a lengthy career thus far. I would say very horribly, though maybe not so much. <laughs> um, uh, a week and a half ago, I had lunch with Frank Kalikowski. Uh, he's oh, Frank. Yeah. Yes, he is. Um, Shout out to Frank and Blizzard. Uh, a few months ago, I had lunch with Megan Parks. Um, I still talked to Dan Rubicaba. I, um, I ran into Justin Renard at a, at a party a few weeks ago. So oh, I think... I, I don't really go out of my way to maintain friendships. I, I, I it just accidentally maintains itself by running into people in common circles. And mm-hmm. whenever I see somebody that that I, I've worked with, I I give them a huge old bear hug. Um, I I I love everybody, and mm-hmm. uh, I. I try not to make enemies. I really care what people think about me. Um, I'm very, very self-conscious with that stuff. Um, and, and I enjoy uh, people's company, um, which is weird because I also don't like getting going out much. So it's, it, I'm, I'm a huge contradiction. Um, <laughs> but yeah, with E3, uh, I, 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 I'm horrible at, uh, at maintaining connections at events. I don't think I have uh, asked to meet with anybody um, other than what I need <laughs> to do for work. Um, I, I tend to be uh, very antisocial. I, like I said, I'm horrible at selling myself. Um, but if I see somebody I know, uh, I'm going to get really excited and I'm going to hug them like crazy. Um, but I'm I'm not going to go out of my way to set up uh, a, a meeting. I that's I don't know. That's Look, that's almost outside of my hug is all you get. OK, just just <laughs> yeah. let it be known. <laughs> you're, you're a spontaneous <laughs> hugger and not a planned hugger. So no, that, that makes it more meaningful that way. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those. Uh, well, I mean, uh, at least talking about maintaining uh, connections and relationships and stuff like post Kickstarter campaign is kind of like closed curtains and like w- what happens behind the scenes. And you were mentioning before you're talking a bit about Discord and you're talking to the fans mm-hmm. and maintaining that. And uh, do you guys have a, a, a dedicated person that interacts? You know, usually we have community uh, managers uh, that interact and does this is is the whole team involved in this process or how are you guys so, handling it? Uh, one of our producers on the team, uh, her, her public facing name is Carly Meow. Um, <laughs> she's also our community manager. Uh, her job is uh, part of her job is to uh, keep up with uh, what the community is saying. And if there's an important question or something that needs our attention, she'll, she'll let uh, one of our devs know uh, and either get an answer from them or get them to answer the question directly. Um, but uh, yeah, her part of her day-to-day tasks are to stay on top of everything everybody is saying mm-hmm. and uh, ensure that uh, the, the fans, community, they're getting their questions answered. Um, and uh, sometimes, I mean, I, I also kind of help after hours and I check out what's going on in Discord if there's any, any chatter going on because uh, I just like also talking to the fans. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's certainly a lot, of, uh, a lot of communication traffic that happens. So, we, yeah, we have somebody dedicated for that. I guess with where you guys are on the project and how much you have left to do, you know, I know that the excitement can build up over time, but do you ever feel like because you communicate so much, because your fans now start to expect that there's going to be new conversations, dialogue or content that they get to interface with you on a daily, monthly or weekly basis that, you know, you may not be able to fulfill? Does it, has it ever bitten you in the butt or do they just understand like, Hey, look, I have content when I do. And when I don't, I don't, you know, what's what's Uh, that like? 
It hasn't backfired yet, and I, I think a good example is um, this, or actually last week, uh, I had a lot of documents I needed to finish, and uh, but there was uh, questions being asked in Discord that I really wanted to answer. <clears throat> and so I, I hopped into Discord, answered the questions as quickly as I could, and then uh, I, I immediately said, sorry guys, I got to get back to work. Uh, it's, it's a really busy week for me. And they said, totally understand it. Go make a great game. Thank you for popping popping in and answering our questions good luck jason and i was like thank you thank you for your support <laughs> no it's, i mean it's like uh i mean it's definitely rewarding i mean engaging your your audience and and your customers from day one has been if anything the last five years or since uh the smartphones came out has been huge for us like twitch within the last 10 years uh exploded for that reason just every second uh, indie developers especially are, are broadcasting every minute or some of them are even 20, doing 24 hours live broadcast of them developing which i don't know what that looks like still <laughs> i have no interest at staring at my co-workers for telling 24 hours it's like it's no nothing interesting to me but to some people it's like a peak inside of game development and mm. so I think as an indie developer, we we definitely appreciate it more um, than you know when we're working at bigger studios and we're kind of just you know eyes on the monitor, and nose down, and just completing our work and then going home. It's like it's it's a nice break, kind of being involved and in, like most indie developers would say in the whole process and just seeing what everyone does a little and just appreciating everything that you know your customers are yeah and to my recollection i've i've always been this way in the game industry um looking back to the first indie game i I made uh hyperbole um that that wow the 10-year anniversary is coming up this july and uh i still talk to that community uh we have a discord server and there's still some loyal fans that pop in and i'm actually going to be uh playing a few rounds of the game with them this thursday nice Um, nice I don't know i just i i don't like going out in public but i i love uh interacting with people online it's i don't know keeping people at a physically safe distance because <laughs> I, don't know, I just have social anxiety or something yeah well are you gonna do anything special for the anniversary of your game um i mean to be honest uh system shock is taking up uh, a lot pretty much all my time gotcha. um but uh, I, I'm trying to carve out a few hours uh, at, at the end of uh, the day, uh, at least a few hours a week, to uh, start thinking about uh, something that I would like to do with that game because it's there's never been a game out there like it. Uh, it I think it could still hold up. Um, and I, I still talk to the original dev team because we're just really, really close friends. And so, uh, yeah, maybe. Um, we'll see. I mean, it's not going to be something that I'm going to set a deadline to. It's just going to be kind of a side hobby thing. But... Uh, I don't know. I, I love every project I've worked on and, and I always want to, there's always more that I want to do. Uh, it's just a matter of finding the time to do it. Uh, so I, I, I think my biggest problem is I just don't know how to give up mm-hmm. and I'm not going to, I'm not going to Rick roll quote or anything, but uh, I don't know. I, I just love making games and uh, I just wish there was more time in a day and I didn't need sleep. And it's, it's so inspiring to hear people say like, I wish I had more time to work on my work. Well, so you guys are remastering uh, System Shock. Rebooting. Uh, Rebooting, sorry. My (laughs) bad. Rebooting uh, System Shock. At the same time, you know, uh, the other team is co-developing System Shock 3. Is there a level of interaction between the two? Because obviously there's a benefit to both doing really well. 
Oh yeah, definitely. Um, there's uh, the, the, there's a form of uh, collaboration um, uh, at GDC. Uh, I uh, I got to meet uh, Warren Spector in person. Nice. Uh, oh, really? Most of our other interactions have mostly been online. He lives in Austin, uh, and he's a really really cool guy. Um, and I felt very unprofessional because I couldn't hold back. I had to fanboy at him about Deus Ex because it's it's one of my favorite games of all time. Um, and he was really humble about it, very appreciative. Uh, such such a great nice guy. Um, yeah, I, I really really love chatting with them um i look forward to you know seeing jason fader being held in such regard especially after uh, this project is out all it's going to take is you do well on this uh, I'll, be, I'll be at your gdc talk buddy i don't need the fame i just <laughs> i just want people to learn from my mistakes and my successes yeah uh Best what was the biggest mistake you made in your career discord yeah what sorry say that again i was what was what was the biggest mistake you made in your career if you don't mind me asking um, that people can learn from, not like a, a sad, depressing one, but like one that can be turned <laughs> into a lesson. <laughs> it's hard to say because every mistake that I think that I, I, I think my biggest mistake was not realizing that it's okay to fail. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, wow. And that, that might be a little too meta, but it's true. Um, the, the more you fail, the more you learn. You shouldn't try to fail, but you shouldn't see your failures as defeat because mm-hmm. – as long as you're learning from it and and not repeating your mistakes, you're you're on the path towards success. Um, people that fail are people that have tried something. They've they've taken a risk. People that have never failed haven't tried hard enough. They haven't gone risky enough. Um, so don't look at failure failures as the end of it. Failures are just a stepping stone. It's a learning process, and don't be afraid of it. I was afraid of failing, and. That, that that fear of failure uh, probably held back some interesting opportunities that could have gone my way. Um, and I, I have failed a bit, um, but I've learned from everything that I failed in. And I've I'm I'm still learning. And uh, actually, uh, not to not to tangent, but uh, I think one of my favorite things about game development, at least these days, uh, especially with uh, so much information at our fingertips, is uh, learning new things that have nothing to do with game development. Uh, so, for example, for System Shock, I had to research a crap load about how the brain works, genetics, uh, the latest advancements in prosthetics, because I basically needed to convince myself how I would physically make a cyborg. Um, mm-hmm. I, I wanted to be as scientifically plausible as possible. Uh, and it's it's that research, it's that learning stuff. Like, here, here's a factoid. Did you know that uh, taking grapefruit with medication is almost equivalent to drinking alcohol with medication? So don't eat grapefruit Ooh. with your meds because uh, there's an enzyme Jesus. in there that can mess with things. I need to stop like, doing that. You know, what's messed up is like, there's people listening right now who are like, bullshit. And they're going to go try it. Look it up. <laughs> try it out juice. Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the side facts that you learn and, and the research because i i was a horrible student and i don't I know, and maybe that's why i really love learning now um because i i never got great grades um but i like learning new things and uh i think that's that's the the coolest side effect of game development is you're always learning and it's it's re- really good to keep sharp on things well, Mr. Fader, I have a hard time believing that 90% of your time goes to Bioshock. I know your cat, get, or excuse me, System Shock. I know your cat takes up the other 5%, and your girlfriend obviously is in the equation as well. Yes. But where in that little sliver of personal time do you find you, yourself doing activities that you just enjoy that are non-game related? Besides, like, researching, like, hey, Larry, you know, I'm in a bowling league now. I, uh, I'm in a barbershop quartet. Uh Actually, I was in a barbershop quartet in high school. Oh, see, see. <laughs> um, 
Actually, uh, another one of my problems is uh, I do volunteer a lot for organizations. I'm currently uh, the chapter president of the Orange County IGDA. Uh, right. Thank you, sir. Thank you for your contribution and keeping that going. I, I, li- I like giving back. I like sharing what I've learned. I mean, I, I feel like, I don't know, if I die tomorrow, I'll die happy knowing that I've at least taught somebody something. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Just having some kind of a legacy so so people can learn from me and not have to reinvent the wheel, not have to repeat mistakes that others have made. I feel that that's, that's how we're going to progress as a society is by learning from one another. Mm-hmm. Um, other th- I also volunteer for uh, a, a local LARP. Um, and I, <laughs> lightning and, bolt, lightning bolt, lightning bolt. That's all I yeah, can think of. Throwing, throwing spell packets that consist of beanbags <laughs> filled with birdseed. Um, I, I volunteer for a yearly masquerade ball that's up in L.A. called Labyrinth of Jareth. Oh, nice. Um, I, I don't know. I like being parts of organizations and helping. Um, I, li- I like being a part of something great. Um, so I, I, I try not to take on more than I can feasibly handle. I'm pretty sure I'm at the limit of things that I can volunteer for. Um, but it, I find it very fulfilling. I, I'm always busy. Um, but I always make time for the people in my life that I love. Um, it's, it's a delicate balance, but, uh, yeah, I, I think I'm pulling it off okay. Uh, my girlfriend's still hanging around with me. Doesn't seem to be uh, too too upset by the long hours. Uh, so, I don't know. Hopefully, I'm doing something right. Hey, man, man. Well, I mean, speaking uh, of making time, uh, like, how is the studio set up? Uh, so, it's, it's fully remote. Um, there's people spread out across the country and a few people even in Europe. Um, thanks to modern technology, we're using stuff like Google Hangouts to coordinate our online meetings. We use Slack for text-based communication, um, Google Docs and Google Drive for coordinating a bunch of files. Um, we use uh, SVN for version control, but probably eventually we'll switch to Perforce because mm-hmm. Perforce is just really, really good. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of online tech out there to make a, a virtual office environment uh, very efficient and productive. And we have a really, really good production team that that, uh, that keeps on top of the schedule, everybody's tasks, ensure everybody is focused and on track. Um, and uh, yeah, we're making it happen. I'm pretty sure with everything that we're figuring out with all this online technology, we'll probably give a GDC talk on that alone. Yeah, like seriously, I, I've been I've been so interested in the virtual studio uh, uh, infrastructure infrastructure uh, because mostly in studios that I've had issues with has been because I was in the studio. <laughs> Like you, you take away the people, you take away uh, PTO, you know, all this stuff. You make up your own hours. You know, some people work better at, at 10 p.m. versus 10 a.m. You know, I mean, how has that is this your first time? Well, obviously not your first time. You've been a bunch of indie developer team. But like to the people who haven't tried it, like what would you say to them and like uh, to sell them this idea? And It's it's awesome and it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it's awesome because of the flexibility. I, I get to hang out with my cat every day. It's great. Um, if, if I'm feeling, um, visually fatigued from working at home, I can pick up my laptop, go to a Starbucks and continue working. Um, I am a fully mobile, uh, on the move game developer if I need to be, uh, it's really cool. The downside though, is that I don't really see humans that often physically. Um, I miss working in an office. I miss, uh, the team camaraderie in person. I miss going out for drinks after work, uh, mm. lunchtime gaming, uh, just like having movie nights with the team though. Funny story. Uh, 
my team's kind of solved the movie nights problem remotely. Uh, we actually had our holiday party online. Nice. Um, <laughs> so uh, what we did was there's um, there's a, a website called uh, uh, rabbit.io, uh, or I think it's just rab.it now. Um, and if you go on rabbit, it's basically like Twitch for videos. Oh, nice. uh, so everybody hops into hops haha rabbit into into a, a room that somebody is hosting um and they navigate to netflix or hulu uh queue up a movie and then everybody similar in a google hangout they can have their webcams on their mics on and they're all watching the same video feed and uh what did we watch uh, for a holiday break we watched jason x um because oh, it was a sci-fi horror thing it was really getting it it was kind of similar visually a little bit to some system shock stuff and uh we were drinking and having a lot of fun and then after we saw the movie, we we all hopped into a game of Overwatch and had fun. Um, and yeah, that was essentially our holiday party. And the best thing was like nobody had to Uber home because yeah. they were already home. Yeah. Um, and then uh, last week we we had another movie night where uh, we saw the Fifth Element together because it was the Fifth mm-hmm. Element anniversary. Mm-hmm. And so there's there's little things that thanks to modern technology that we can do to keep the team closer together. But it's it's still not a a perfect replacement for physically working in the same location as other people. And I do miss it, but like I said, it's awesome and it sucks. Mm-hmm. You got a taste of what work life is going to be like for your grandkids, man. I, I swear the <laughs> virtual office is going to be on a rise. I see the trend continuing. It's that's just going to be the norm though, you know, I have a feeling. Yeah. For as many people that work in office, there's going to be as many people working out of office. Yeah, I I like the like you can hop on a plane and, and start working from Hawaii. I mean, that's the biggest draw right there. Well, uh, I think most planes. Uh, well, the, the Wi-Fi is probably expensive, right? So, I'm not sure you're really going to get the best connection. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like just I think the flexibility and being a game developer, and yeah, I, I do get what you're saying. Like being in the office and 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 messing with people. <laughs> on a daily basis is part like, of the fun. Ner- nerf gun battles. Come yeah. on. Yeah. No, I get it. There's only so many times you can shoot the webcam before people like don't react anymore. Right. right. Or it's somebody's <laughs> birthday and there's a birthday cake in the office. Now everybody gets free cake. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there are certain aspects that I, I do love about being in the office for sure. But uh, I guess it's like the grass is greener <laughs> type of situation. I think yeah. we need to switch places once in a while. <laughs> There's pros and cons to yeah, everything. There's pros and cons to everything, yeah. Well, uh, gentlemen, if you notice, I have this really nice pocket watch right here. And I was looking at the time, and it says, Mr. Fader, you have successfully been podcasting with us for over an hour. Holy crap. And this is yeah. my first podcast ever, by the way. Hell yeah. Wow. Thanks, for, thanks for popping Another my podcast, Carrie. Yeah, there hey, we go. Hey, thanks for, thanks for giving it to us. Yeah. <laughs> you're not our first, anyways. <laughs> That's fine. You're more experienced. How, 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 it it. how it always works, man. Um, so, look, without further ado, though, I want to let you know that we always let our guests come on and talk directly to the audience to promote, to broadcast, to shout out, or raise awareness for something special that they're involved in or that they just want our audience to know more about. And, you know, you're not special. You get the same treatment. So have at it. Just what I like to hear. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, System Shock uh, is a great game. We're rebooting it. If you'd like to know more, go to systemshock.com. Um, if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, it's just at Jason Fader. Um, I work on other projects. Hopefully I'll be making more noise with some of my indie stuff. We'll see um, if, if 
follow me on Twitter if you'd like to know more of that information. Uh, there's going to be Steam sales coming up with uh, some games that I've worked on in the past. Um, I'm sure Fallout New Vegas will probably be on sale. Uh, Threadspace Hyperball is going to be on sale. Um, geez, what else to spread more awareness of? Uh, I don't know. Uh, t- take this moment to internally reflect on yourselves and be happy with yourself because you're awesome deep down. Namaste. Well, Mr. Fader, Mr. Fram to my right, it's been a great podcast. I'm saying goodnight. This is Brandon Fan. Thanks for listening this week. See you guys next week. <clears throat> Bye. I thought there was three of us in here. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> All right. If you enjoyed this podcast and you want to stay in touch or continue to follow our developments, then you need to go to facebook.com forward slash game dev unchained and drop a like and stay in touch. You can also get the direct feed for this podcast on soundcloud.com forward slash game dev unchained.